0: Welcome to today's episode of the MesoTV podcast. In today's episode, we talk about precision medicine and targeted therapies for mesothelioma. We are joined by Dr. Hetty Kindler, a medical oncologist at the University of Chicago Medicine, who helps us understand this topic and gives us an overview of clinical trials in this area that are available to some mesothelioma patients right now. MesoTV is a video program adapted to audio only for this podcast, produced by the Mesothelioma Applied Research Foundation, a national 501c3 nonprofit organization. This season of programming is made possible with the support of our generous sponsors. They are MRHFM, Bellac and Fox, Bristol Myers Squibb, NovaCure, Merck, the Gori Law Firm, Early, Luca Rally, Sweeney, and Meisenkothen. Hi, everybody. Welcome
1: to this MesoTV episode. Today we have Dr. Hetty Kenler with us, and I would like to introduce you to her and have her tell us a little bit about who she is and her, her um, association with the mesothelioma community.
2: Hi, Dr. Kenler. Good morning, it's a pleasure to be with you today. Um, Yes, I've been associated with uh, the MISO Foundation for many, many years, and I lead the mesothelioma program at the University of Chicago. It's a large, very multidisciplinary MISO program. We run many clinical trials and have uh, patients coming from across the U.S. to uh, participate in our trials. Um, I'm uh, happy to answer any questions that you have, Shannon.
1: Thank you. So today we're going to talk a little bit about precision medicine and some targeted treatments. Um, if you could just tell us a little bit about what exactly is precision medicine. Okay.
2: So in the old days, we used to uh, simply give chemo to everyone and hope that it worked, but not be able to predict who it was going to work in and who it was not. And so precision medicine is more precise. The idea is to try to target the biology of a patient's cancer. And in many cancers, there are molecular on-off switches uh, that can be turned off. Um, So we call these mutations. Um, In mesothelioma, these are what we call uh, tumor suppressor mutations. So instead of being molecular on switches, they're often molecular off switches. And when those switches turn off, other pathways that lead to cell growth turn on. And in the past, there weren't so many drugs that we could use to try to target these mutations. What's exciting now in meso is that these mutations that turn off some things and turn on other things are now druggable. We now have some drugs that we can test for these um, abnormalities.
1: Yeah, I really liked um, one of the quotes that I saw is that the new precision medicine model um, is looking at that it's not a one-size-fits-all approach anymore. Um, so hopefully we're, we're looking more at the molecular biology of the tumor um, exactly. and the patients.
2: Absolutely. All of us are individuals and our tumors are individual. And so we can't just throw a particular drug at a patient and expect it's going to work in every time. And so by being more precise about the biology of the tumor of an individual patient's tumor, we can hopefully um, have a better chance of that tumor actually helping the patient.
1: And then I just wanted you to explain a little bit about um, some of these molecular on-off switches are um, somatic, and some of them are not somatic. Um, So could you just explain a little bit about that? So we think about
2: either germline or inherited (laughs) mutations that you pass on from father to child. Um, And then there are the somatic mutations that develop within the tumor themselves. So a person with germline mutations can also have somatic mutations in the tumor, but a person with mutations in the tumor does not necessarily have them in the germline. So about about 12% of all mesothelioma patients will have inherited mutations that make them more sensitive to, for example, the cancer effects of asbestos about 25% of patients with the peritoneal meso, meso in the abdominal cavity, will have these mutations. Whereas the somatic or tumor mutations that are not passed on from father to child are much more common. So the the two most common ones are BAP1, B-A-P-1, and NF2. So BAP1 mutations can occur in up to 60% of patient tumors, and the NF2 can occur in up to uh, 50% or so of the um, the tumors themselves. In the inherited or germline, we don't see the NF2 for mesos. We can see BAP1 and another one called CDKN2A, and then there are quite a number of others that we see in the germline, but that's not the focus of today's talk.
1: And can we talk a little bit about um, how do they test for these?
2: Sure. So at many centers of excellence, we test for these at the uh, at the initial patient visit. So at the University of Chicago, all patients will be asked to spit in a cup so that we get their germline mutation. And most patients don't mind giving up a little spit. And uh, um, but you can also do that by blood. And then the tumor mutation you will do by taking um, a little piece of the tumor that the patient already had at their biopsy or at their surgery, and you send these to a laboratory that can then evaluate for those molecular on off switches. Many of these are done at the university centers, but they can also be send out tests. Um, So uh, companies that do the tumor mutations Um, include uh, Foundation, Tempest, Keras, there are quite a number of others. So that means that a community oncologist who doesn't have, you know, a lab at their center can send these out and then get those back a few weeks later. So we recommend that patients get these done early at diagnosis, they can take a few weeks to get back. And that way you can always figure out um, have something in your back pocket for the future to help you figure out what your next treatment might be. They don't really impact at the present time what your first treatment would be.
1: Thank you very much for explaining that. And the exciting role of all of this is that um, now we are, we're figuring out that we have some um, potential um, medicines that could help with these people who are expressing or not expressing these mutations. Um, and we have some trials going on, and I'm going to let you go ahead and tell us a little bit about those.
2: Sure. So um, I think we have to first talk about types of trials. And so um, in the past when we were when there were trials that were looking at, uh, various abnormalities, these trials did not include patients with meso. And so when we're first looking at a new drug, we're testing, um, it's a one, two, three system. So the early stage trials are phase one trials. And these are trials that are trying to figure out what's the right dose? How often do you give the drug? What are the side effects? How long does the, blood rem- the drug remain in your system? And so these are early stage trials. Today, these early stage phase one trials, often called phase one B trials, are targeted to something very specific in the biology of a tumor. So uh, for example, there are a number of trials that target patients with BAP1 or NF2 mutations. Now, in the past, before all of the basic science work happened that determined that meso patients have these mutations and that helped us understand how they um, help the tumors to grow. Um, and how these drugs could inhibit them. Uh, Many of these trials just did not include meso. They included the common cancers. You know, it's much more uh, profitable, let's say, for a pharma company to have a trial targeting, I don't know, breast cancer or prostate cancer, rather than the, the less common tumors. But as we learn more and more about the biology and learn that these drugs can so precisely target mesothelioma in the test tube, in the, in the mouse, in the bunny rabbit, now suddenly companies are eager to offer these patients to uh, these trials to mesopatients. So what often happens in what we call phase 1b2 basket trials is that, let's say there's a trial for patients with NF2 mutations. The first group of patients may or may not be required to have these uh, mutations, and they can be tested in any of a number of different diseases. But then uh, once they've figured out what's the right dose, how it's the right schedule, or how often you give the drug, then um, they have cohorts or baskets of patients who are able to get the drug. And so one basket might be uh, for mesothelioma patients with NF2 mutations. And that's really important for patients to be aware of that while these are early stage trials, these are early stage trials targeted to the biology of their cancer. And the word mesothelioma may not appear in the title of the trial. The title of the trial might say, you know, um, evaluation of drug XYZ for patients with such and such mutation. But when you um, you reach out to, for example, the Meso Foundation, they can then help you figure out that, yes, this targets a, something that's uh, often abnormal in a mesothelioma tumor, and you should look out for it. Now, some of these BASCA trials, although they are for patients with certain mutations, do not have a mesothelioma cohort. But more and more, as more and more investigators publish about the biology of mesothelioma, as uh, the Mesothelioma Foundation gives out more grants for people to evaluate these things, suddenly pharma companies are becoming more and more aware. And so it's really exciting to see so many new trials that are now allowing mesothelioma patients on and that are studying them in a decent enough number of mesothelioma patients that we can really assess do these drugs have activity? And if after evaluating them in 20 or 40 or whatever number of mesothelioma patients with these abnormalities that this occurs, then the plan could be to then evaluate them in even larger settings.
1: Great, yeah, so for patients that are looking or even for myself when we're looking for trials for patients, a lot of times it will say in the actual title, um, advanced solid tumors, or um, metastatic solid tumors, Um, but what we're really looking for is if they have that NF2 or the BAP1.
2: Correct, because many of the ones that say for advanced solid tumors then have a list in there, what we call eligibility criteria, who's allowed on, and those lists either will or will not include mesothelioma. And so you really have to cone down and look because there may be trials that don't. Um, Now, some of um, the investigators who are involved in mesothelioma may reach out to companies and say, hey, you've got a drug that targets the biology of this disease really well. Would you consider adding in a mesothelioma cohort, which actually happened in one of the studies that we're talking about today? Um, And so, um, you know, that can occur, but you as a patient can't just say, hey, I've got this tumor. Can I go on? They're not going to say that you can. But certainly if mesothelioma is listed as one of the tumors in that. That set, then you can.
1: Right, okay, thank you so much. So, I was gonna um, have you talk a little bit about the um, three studies or so mm-hmm. that we know of um, that are targeting these. Um, if you want to start with um, the CPI 0209,
2: sure. So, CPI 0209 <laughs> is, is comes from a, com- a company called Constellation and it inhibits something called EZH2, okay? And so in animal models, we know that when you lose BAP1, you have higher EZH2 expression. And we know in test tube models that meso cells that lack BAP1 are very sensitive to being inhibited uh, to EZH2 inhibition. In other words, If you have a BAP1 mutation, then it's going to um, bring up the level of EZH2, and the goal of this drug is to bring that level down and therefore inhibit the growth of your tumor. And in, um, in this particular trial, we, can't, we look for patients who either have the mutation that we see on what we call the next generation sequencing, the looking at the tumor to see those molecular on-off switches, or on the pathology, when we look at the tumor cells under the microscope, we are looking for something called loss of BAP1 on immunohistochemistry. And that is very commonly done at diagnosis in mesothelioma because it often can help you identify, is this really a mesothelioma? And so, um, so if you have on lo- loss of BAP1 on IHC, that could enable you to go on this trial. Now, there is a history of looking at EZH2 inhibitors in mesothelioma, and so uh, Dr. Zauderer, who is well known to the foundation, um, led a trial of a different EZH2 inhibitor uh, called Tazemetostat a few years ago and demonstrated um, that patients tolerated it well, that it uh, controlled the tumor for some time, and that there were patients who responded. And I think of this as sort of grandson of tazimetastat. There are various fancy things that drug companies would say that they did that are a little bit different of their drug versus the other drug. Um, But it's a, you know, a similar pathway. It's the same pathway and a similar category of drug. And so it's exciting to see maybe a new and improved version of tazimetastat, um, uh, looking to see if that can also be evaluated for MISA. Uh, So this is, again, a phase 1b trial, and patients, the phase 1 portion completed, and now we are in the uh, mesothelioma expansion cohort, where patients with Previously treated mesothelioma, so uh, whether their tumor progressed on standard Olympta-based chemotherapy or on standard immunotherapy, and they have um, the abnormality in the BAP1 pathway, are now offered this drug, which is conveniently a pill. A lot of patients would rather take a pill rather than an IV. So it's a very exciting study. It is ongoing. And many of these studies are multi-center, as is this one. So there are, you know, a number of places around the country uh, that have this study offered. So for us, if um, I have a patient on a multi-center trial who comes to me for an assessment, we test their tumor for uh, the molecular on-off switches, but they happen to live closer to another center, I'll reach out to the other center and say, you know, I've got this lovely patient. Would you be able to put them on your, on the trial. So oftentimes, uh, you know, that can happen for patients that they have access to trials, even if it's not in their neighborhood.
1: Yeah, that's very helpful. That is one thing that I did notice about actually all three of these is that um, they are oral drugs, Mm -hmm. which is um, sometimes much nicer um, for patients to be able to take, um, especially when, if they don't live uh, very close to the center of excellence, so.
2: absolutely. Um, You know, many patients would much rather, you know, not get stuck all the time and be able to take a pill, Um, but remember that when one is on an earlier stage trial, there are often more frequent visits to be able to, A, assess the, um, what are the blood levels of this drug, uh, what are the side effects of this newer drug, and some of the trials will even require or request a biopsy to be done before and sometimes after to get a sense of um, what's going on in the tumor at that moment from the drug and what what are some of the other factors in the tumor that might help predict whether a drug is going to work or not. So some of these trials are a little bit more labor-intensive for the patient in terms of travel, but that's why the MISA Foundation provides scholarships to help patients travel to uh, clinical
1: trials. Absolutely. Um, And then that kind of leads into the next trial that um, is going on with the lymparza, which is also given orally, um, and that is for malignant mesothelioma as well. I'll just have you talk a little bit about that. That has to do with the BAP1 mutation as well.
2: Right. And so um, BAP1 mutations either inherited or in the tumor Um, affect how the DNA is repaired in the tumor. So DNA are the building blocks of life. And so if you cannot repair the DNA properly, then other pathways go up when that one goes down. And so this um, drug and class of drugs called PARP inhibitors basically inhibits that PARP pathway that gets kind of hyperactivated in these patients. Uh, So these are a class of drugs that, unlike the other two I'm talking about that are still in the experimental stage, this is a class of drugs, the PARP inhibitors, that are approved for a number of other cancers with other mutations such as BRCA1 and BRCA2. So they're approved in pancreas cancer, breast cancer, ovarian cancer, prostate cancer, but are being evaluated in mesotheliomas specifically because of the BAP1 mutations, which are not found in those other cancers commonly. So this again is an oral agent. And here we know from a studies of other cancers that patients who get a PARP inhibitor um, who are sensitive to a platinum agent are more likely to respond subsequently to a PARP. That basically a biomarker of sensitivity to a PARP is sensitivity to a platinum.
1: Can I have you, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but will you explain for the patients what sensitivity means? Because I think sometimes they get a little bit confused um, as to whether that means that you respond or you don't respond.
2: Oh, I'm sorry. Sure. So uh, what we mean by sensitivity in this setting is that either the tumor shrank or it stabilized for a, a reasonable period of time. And so a patient who had received standard Olympta or Pemetrexed plus either carboplatin or cisplatin, if their tumor either shrank or stabilized with uh, those drugs, then they're more likely to respond to a PARP inhibitor. Their body tumor was already sensitive to drug A, and so they're also more likely to be sensitive to drug B
0: whereas if their
2: tumor grew right through those two drugs, then it's not worth it to even bother with a PARP. It's not going to help. And so these drugs have been studied um, in mesothelioma in the UK, where there was some actually promising data and is moving on to further studies, some data in the US that was um, perhaps a little bit less positive, Slightly different eligibility criteria, so a little bit difficult to really assess, and that was a much smaller study, so we're still evaluating these drugs um, uh, in what we hope is the best patient population uh, possible to then better assess, um, you know, whether they are going to help patients with um, a BAP1 mutation in this particular setting. Uh, So for us, if we have a patient who is platinum sensitive, we'd be more likely to offer them the the Olaparib, the PARP inhibitor, because we think that's more likely to offer benefit. Whereas if a patient was not platinum sensitive, but still had a BAP1 mutation, then we want to offer them the potential benefit of inhibiting uh, that BAP1 mutation with an EZH2 inhibitor. So we try to tailor it to, you know, what the patient's biology is telling us.
1: Yes, exactly. Thank you so much. And then um, the last study, or well, I mean, the third one that we're going to talk about today um, is the VT3989. um, And this is for patients with the NF2 gene mutation. Right.
2: So most of these drugs, when they're, you can tell if a drug is approved commercially or not, because if they're not approved commercially, they've got a, a, you know, a couple of letters and then a long set of numbers after them. (laughs) A very funny name. Exactly. So, uh, so this is an experimental drug that's targeting the NF2 pathway. And so that pathway is a very funny name. It's called the hippo yap pathway. So I can think of all sorts of comics we can do for that. Um, But um, basically it's another one of those tumor suppressors where the loss of NF2 then activates another pathway that then enables the tumor to grow. And so there is a, a nice amount of data and, that uh, demonstrates that in both um, test tubes and in animal models, that inhibiting this um, pathway can then enable tumors to be inhibited. And it's a very complex pathway. So they're actually, several different companies that have clinical trials of drugs that are inhibiting this pathway. So we're participating in one of them right now, um, but there are um, several others that I'm aware of um, and several others in even earlier stages. But um, I know of at least two others that are um, ongoing right now and several other companies that are looking at the pathway. So it's kind of a hot pathway.
1: Um, And this is another one where they're looking at Um, not just mesothelioma, but also other solid tumors. So this would be one that when you're looking it up, you may want to look up um, the NF2 pathway.
2: And it's even more complicated than that because within the NF2 pathway, um, again, it's inhibiting really that YAP. TAS, HIPPO, and so some of the cohorts actually just have abnormalities more in the YAP or the TAS or the something okay. this or sort of that, and so whereas others, that abnormality of the pathway is due to the NF2, and then different clinical trials with this will have different ones, so that's again why it's helpful to have, you know, um, the MISA Foundation or Center of Excellence really providing you some guidance once you have then uh, the mutational analysis done by the next generation sequencing.
1: Absolutely, thank you so much. Um, and I know with that one, um, it's it's a, also an oral um, drug as well. Um, and it is for advanced um, malignant mesothelioma after standard of treatment. So they need to have had one.
2: Right, and you know, in the past, um, many trials would require that you fail every standard treatment these days, most of the time. And then some trials used to say, well, you had to have, um, had your tumor grow after chemotherapy, but now chemotherapy and immunotherapy are standards of care. So now most clinical trials will require that you have um, had disease that has grown after at least one prior therapy. And so, you know, whether it's one or six, and some of them will have limitations. You can have only had three or four or whatever, but, you know, at least one prior therapy because you want to make sure that that, which is standard of care, has at least been tried before you're trying something a bit more experimental. Again, this is targeting, you know, an abnormal pathway in many mesotheliomas, and it is an oral agent, um, which, again, many patients really appreciate. <laughs>
1: yes, very much so.
2: And there um, are some patients who may even have abnormalities in both BAP1 and NF2, and then you have a discussion talking to the patient about, well, I don't know which is the dominant, you know, driver that's causing the tumor growth. Are both of them is one more than another? Should we try A? Should we try B? Should we go with A first and then B? Um, Do you not like this side effect? And you'd rather try that side effect. So there are a lot of different things that weigh into um, choosing one or another trial if they seem equal.
1: Okay. And I think it's really important also, and um, you have stated this, but just so that patients are aware, um, to try and get this next-gen sequencing um, done at diagnosis if we can, um, because then at least we know further down the line if that's something that we can have in our back pocket if they do fail first-line therapy.
2: You're using my line. I always tell my patients, Hedy has a big back pocket. You always (laughs) want to plan ahead Hope that the treatment that you're going to take is going to last for a very long time, but know that if it doesn't, you know what you're going to do next.
1: Yes, thank you so much. Well, thank you for today's episode. We were really happy to have you on for today. If you have anything else to add, I'd, I'd love for you to do that. Um, otherwise, thank you so much for being with us.
2: Well, I'd like to just mention the next generation of where we are going with this. Absolutely. So- In, you know, again, in the old days, it used to be throw some drugs at patients' chemo and let's hope it sticks and let's hope it works. Now we have the trials where meso patients along with patients with other diseases with a specific molecular abnormality are going into a trial. But the trial of the future, which is actually already happening, is a trial where any mesothelioma patient um, uh, goes on the trial Somebody profiles their tumor to look for the molecular on-off switches, any immunohistochemistry markers that are there, and then based upon that mesopatient-specific abnormality, they then get binned into one of a number of different arms of a trial. We call that an umbrella trial because it has a lot of spokes to it. And so, and then any patient with mesothelioma can get a treatment that's hopefully targeted to the biology of their tumor. So there already is a trial like that that's ongoing in the UK called the MIST trial. And we and others in the U.S. are working on uh, developing trials for mesothelioma patients so that, you know, what if, you know, you don't have that BAP1 mutation and you don't have that NF2 mutation, are you left out in the cold? No, there certainly are many other trials that can be offered, but we really want to have trials so that any patient um, with mesothelioma has access to it, and that's based on the biology of their specific tumor. And so with help from, you know, partners in the Meso Foundation and others, hopefully we can do enough research to be able to uh, really learn enough about this disease so that we can be able to offer trials to any patient who needs them.
1: Yeah, it's a very exciting time um, in the space of mesothelioma, you know, with the introduction of the immunotherapies coming over, um, and now with the um, more precision medicine, looking at these targeted, more targeted therapies, um, it, it just gives these patients so many more options than what they used to have.
2: Absolutely. You know, I think for many years, um, there were no therapies for meso, then there was one therapy, and then just took many more years to get that second. And, you know, and now I think things are really exploding. I think we're really at a point where in the next few years, we're going to have a lot more options for our patients. And so it's a really exciting time to be a mesothelioma researcher, because we know that in the near future, hopefully, we will have so many more options.
1: Yes, making big breakthroughs, we hope. We hope. hope. (laughs) Yes. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It was nice to meet you. I appreciate you being with us.
2: My pleasure. I've enjoyed it. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you.